The environmental challenge, which confronts the whole world, demands an equivalent response from the whole world. This is the start of a whole series of processes that will need to go on for the rest of your life and far beyond it in order to protect the environment. Instead of making excuses tomorrow to our children and grandchildren, we should be taking action against climate change today. Conservatism and conservation are natural allies. We will build back and bounce back greener, and this government will lead that green industrial revolution. Hello and welcome to another edition of SEND Talks hosted by the Conservative Environment Network. My name is John Flesher, I'm SEND's Head of International Programme and today we've got something a little bit different for you. Last year to coincide with COP26 we hosted a delegation of seven Australian politicians from the Conservative Party's sister parties, the Liberals and the Nationals, which together make up the governing coalition of Australia and I'm delighted to be joined by two members of that delegation today. Elizabeth Lee is the leader of the Liberal Party in Canberra and serves as leader of the opposition in the Australian Capital Territories Legislative Assembly, where she's the member for Kurajong. And Damien Drum is the federal MP for the National Party, representing the division of Nichols in Victoria and its predecessor since 2016. Elizabeth, Damien, welcome. It's a pleasure to be uh, chatting with you both again. Thank you for having us. Well, great to see you again, John, and thank you for the opportunity to say good day. Uh, well, I thought we'd begin by asking about your interest in the environment as an issue and why is it that you wanted to come to the UK last year on our delegation and why is it that you care about the environment? Um, Elizabeth, I'll start with you. Thank you. And, um, you know, where I come from in Australia, Canberra, which is the capital, not Sydney, as everyone thinks it is, but it is Canberra. It's uh, colloquially known as the bush capital. And we are very fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of natural beauty within such a short distance to the city centre. And, um, you know, it's it's something that I think uh, as as a Canberran, you you grow up with and it's almost a, a bit of a lifestyle thing for you. So as opposed to sort of having an academic interest, it kind of you live in that area of a natural environment. And of course, as um, a very, uh, I suppose, well-educated and um, a city state, if you like, uh, in, in where I am, it is an issue of that comes to mind because um, obviously we're surrounded by the nature that's around us. But, you know, obviously in the last couple of years, uh, the issue of climate change and what we do about that and, and the fact that it's a global problem, but what can we do uh, to contribute to finding a solution has been uh, a very, very topical one for quite a while. So it is an issue that is of great importance to my constituency. And when I was first elected in 2016 uh, as member for Currajong, I was um, handed the environment portfolio, which included looking after climate change. And so for four years, it was my portfolio area. And um, when I became leader, I continued to retain the portfolio of climate action. And only this week, I've also added um, energy and emissions reduction to, to my portfolio as well. And I have to say, John, that part of that decision to actually take on more of that responsibility in this space uh, was uh, because of the learnings that I had taken away from the delegation that we, we were able to be on to, to go to COP26. And so for that, actually, a huge thanks to you and your team as well. Well, it's brilliant to hear. Thank you. And uh, Damien, how about you? You're from a very different part of Australia. Uh, thanks, John. Yes, yeah, so I, I suppose growing up on the farm, I grew up on a dairy farm and uh, I got to witness firsthand uh, how important agriculture is to the area, which uh, more or less coincidentally, I now, you know, some 25, 35 years later, 
I, I am the representative in Parliament for that area where I grew up. The area is heavily connected to agriculture and therefore in many of the environmental debates, um, and the environment can in fact in many instances go head to head with agriculture. So you more or less as a as a representative of an area that is very strong in agriculture, you get dragged into the environmental debates, whether you like it or not. And therefore, trying to find that balance and that medium, that medium and uh, that measured area which you can take forward, is uh, is critically important for my people. So, I think environmental issues are critically important to my people. And also, what I was really looking forward to seeing when we went to the UK was just to look at those like situations over there, compare how is the agricultural sector dealing with the opportunities and also the challenges that come with a country that is committed to net zero uh, by 2050. And also to look at the technology changes and see the advancements that are coming forward in technology. Brilliant, thank you. Well, we'll take looking and uh, carrying on from that, looking at the delegation itself. We we began our trip in Glasgow at COP26 itself um, before heading to Hull to visit the Siemens Gamesa turbine blade factory. And then we came to London for a series of meetings and visits here. Wonder, looking back a couple of months, uh, what were the highlights for you and what particular do you feel like you could take back to Australia and, and for your uh, for your work on climate change, uh, Elizabeth? Yeah, I mean, there, it was such a packed schedule and uh, you certainly kept us busy. <laughs> I also was uh, very fortunate enough to arrive a little bit early and uh, go to Edinburgh and attend the Globe uh, Legislators Summit uh, and also the Youth Environment um, uh, Summit as well, which were all both eye-opening experiences. So there was no shortage of different uh, exposures that we had to the discussion that's happening. But the main takeaway that I actually um, got from my visit to the UK was just the sensible discussions. Um, in Australia, the issue of climate change has become such a political and polarising issue. And that's why I have to say hats off to people like Damien, because I know that it would have been a tough discussion for him in his party room. And, and you know, to have voices like Damien's very loud and strong in this space is really important. One of the things that I discussed when we were having the... Um, uh, global conservative um, um, climate summit was about the fact that this is happening, this discussion is happening, and if the centre right legislators do not engage, we will be left behind. And what we will do is actually allow the left to not only run the narrative, but come up with the solutions. And we know, we know because we believe in what we do as centre right legislators that we have the better solutions. We want to talk about the market-based solutions. We want to talk about achieving our climate goals while at the same time achieving economic prosperity. And those are really important factors that should drive us as centre-right legislators to continue to engage so that we can form the narrative, we can form the future, and we can form the environment that we want to live in uh, for our children and their children. I can uh, certainly agree with every word of that. So uh, no, that's great. And uh, Damien, what were the particular takeaways for you? Well, it was a uh, it was uh, backing up what Elizabeth is mentioning that it was great to be in a room full of other conservatives from other from other legislatures, where they were share, able to share um, their experiences without fear of condemnation or without fear of ridicule. 
um, but actually to come in and share with Canadians, Canadian Conservatives, American Conservatives, British, Scottish, Australians. It was, um, it was um, an, an opportunity to uh, share each of, our, each of our electorates. So even to drill right down to our local towns, to our local cities, and to pass on to our other colleagues from other parts of the world uh, what our challenges and opportunities were. I think some of the real takeaways, John, were the, the evening that we went to Tesla and were able to look at the advancements in, in their technology. Um, they, were, they were telling us about a, a car that had done a million miles and still had a battery that could run at 95% capacity or 95% efficiency. Um, so they were they're making incredible inroads uh, with their um, they're getting greater range out of their batteries so that all of a sudden this hesitancy about being able to take an EV on a long distance trip is starting to dissipate and so the technology there is going quite is quite incredible we also heard about the lessons about uh, giving industry scale when it came to offshore wind um, you know the initial the initial contracts that were given to industry were quite small and the price that came back was quite expensive. You know, some years later, uh, the scale for offshore wind contracts had, had been increased at the, uh, at the bequest of industry. And sure enough, the, price, the prices had been driven down quite considerably. So we were able to see, which is really important for Australia, because we are backing ourselves in that technology will be uh, the ones that take us forward, more so than implying taxes on our people so it's great that we were able to go over there and we were able to witness some of these advancements we've seen incredible technology improvements in solar in recent years with the cost of solar panels halving with their efficiency doubling um, and we can see these increases in the technology associated with battery technology um, we can see offshore wind coming down so i think they were the real takeaways we're able to come back with a with a reasonably upbeat um, upbeat uh, persona because uh, you know we think we're in a pretty good place and uh, whilst we can always be uh, do more uh, it was great to see the leadership being shown by the UK and to see the the way that they are sort of you know they are both moving headlong into this uh, at a hundred rate of knots but they are also um, you know bringing technology with them to get the results that they need so I think it uh, certainly also gave us this real understanding that if you're going to make these tough decisions, you have to plan and, you know, to phase out EVs by 2030 or 2035, whichever they choose with. Um, there's an awful lot of planning that has to take place right now. So I think that's a great lesson to learn. You just can't make these decisions um, for Friday and all of a sudden you can't complain then when people aren't ready to make that transition. And I think some of the things, John, I think some of the things in relation to uh, Australia, we are judged quite harshly, but I think it's worth pointing out that we are leading the world in rooftop solar. Uh, nearly one in four houses um, have solar on their roofs and that's uh, not just leading the world, we are streeting the world by a long way. We're also pushing very hard on the hydrogen uh, technology. So I think hydrogen is uh, many, many uh, countries around the world 
are really trying to get there in relation to green hydrogen. And, and we're also, you know, towards the front of that pack as well. I think battery technology is going to play an incredibly important part in, in uh, Australia's uh, energy mix. And we're looking very, very keenly at the way battery technology is improving so much in relation to EVs. And then I think the other thing that's going to be very, very important is the supplements that we're looking at feeding our herds, our, both our sheep and our cattle herds in relation to reducing methane emissions in the, in the agricultural sector. So there's a whole range of things that we are doing pretty well in Australia. Uh, doesn't tend to get reported overseas. Uh, and we think that for a country that's emitting, you know, about one and, and heading towards much less than 1% of world emissions, we think we're going okay, even though we can do, we know we can do better. It's fair to say that Australia doesn't always get a good press on climate change. It's repeatedly come attack at, at home and abroad for its persistently high level of emissions and targets, which are um, less ambitious than most comparable nations. Are those fair criticisms and does Australia need to up its game, Elizabeth? Yeah, and uh, you know certainly we we were exposed to that a lot more when we were in the UK, and uh, but you know those criticisms are also levelled at um, the centre right politicians in Australia as well. You know, um, if it was up to the the Greens, we we would be you know already there. You know, apparently. So um, and, and we know that um, you know it's a, it's a polarising issue, uh, especially for some of the reasons that Damien's outlined, uh, and especially for the people that he represents. I'm very fortunate that I represent an area which is extremely small. We have no heavy manufacturing or industry to speak of. We don't have any agriculture. And so in a way, uh, you know, we do have the advantage of being uh, very ambitious about our climate change um, targets. And so we are. Uh, including the Liberals. So for as far as I've been involved uh, as an elected member, the Liberal Party in the Australian Capital Territory has always had a tripartisan agreement with the Labor and Greens in the ACT on 100% renew renewable energy by 2020, which was achieved. Uh, but that's sort of based on the fact that it's actually part of national energy grid and, and yeah, it goes into a little bit of, is it actually, you know, 100%, but let's not go there. Um, and uh, the next challenge, of course, being what do we do about emissions from transport and um, building and construction? And I know that uh, that is going to be the next challenge. So, you know, as Damien said, Australia does have a really, really high take up of solar. That probably comes as no surprise to, to the rest of the world, uh, given where we are and what our um, weather is, is like. And so um, Australia is a very different country uh, in, in, the, in the fact that it is so vast, so, so very vast um, and with a very small population compared. Uh, but also where the population is situated, uh, essentially sort of, uh, you know, surrounding uh, the, um, the coastline as opposed to, uh, you know, sort of spread out evenly. And, and, and that does pose some, I suppose, unique challenges. Uh, but what I say is that, you know, if there are criticisms levelled at the right of politics in Australia, um, you know, you just have to look at us as an example in the fact that, you know, where we can, we, of course, are ambitious. But what we don't want to do, and as I think Jamie has pointed out, is you don't want to leave people behind. And, and that is a real and genuine consideration uh, for people who will have to pay uh, to achieve this goal. Um, but, yeah, no, we're really proud of it. Um, the other thing is that in Canberra, we're also, the as the nation's capital, the home to a lot of smart people, 
a lot of good research. Um, and uh, actually at COP26, uh, Cam Barron, Sophia Hamblin uh, uh, Wong, she actually won the startup pitch battle, um, you know, at COP26. I think she beat like 2,700 other entrants. And that was really exciting uh, with her company, Mineral Carbonation uh, International, that takes uh, CO2 and actually makes it into very useful building material. Um, and that's very exciting technology uh, that I think, you know, we can showcase as homegrown and something that Australia is contributing to the world in. Um, what was really exciting also at COP26, and I think um, it was already mentioned as well, is, is, is the excitement that the world has for Australia's offshore wind capacity. Um, and now it's not something that I can do as a legislator in ACT because we're landlocked, but it's very exciting uh, to see the opportunities and um, the possibilities uh, for Australia's coastline when it comes to offshore wind and what that future might look like in the next 10, 15 years. Um, and in the ACT back to my hometown, um, um, you know, you'll be glad to know that I've put in my order for an EV uh, and uh, it's the perfect place for, for EV take up because we are very small and we do very short distances. So hopefully uh, a lot of the fears in relation to um, range anxiety just, just don't exist. So um, I hope that people will start to take up EVs uh, in, in, in mass. Oh, absolutely. Um, Damien, was there anything you wanted to, to add on Australia's uh, record on climate change? Uh, I will add to that too, John. And so you know, the Climate Change Committee certainly gave us a real food for thought because of this, the ability for a committee to lead a country in what it has to do, those tough decisions that you need to make on climate change, but to do that independently of the politics. And as Elizabeth has just said, in Australia, the whole climate change debate has become incredibly political and once that happens it becomes a little bit toxic and and therefore good reason gets left behind point scoring uh, and therefore we saw a model in the UK that could very very well work in Australia and that is to try and put some independence around a leading a leading committee that can actually take the country forward uh, as we look for the challenges and the opportunities that exist with climate change. Uh, we do need to be cognizant of the fact that Australia is heavily, heavily reliant on its resources sector. We just, I suppose it's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough economic question for every Australian. Uh, what are they prepared to forego if it comes down to, you know, $340 billion worth of royalties from all of our resource sector? $340 billion, you know, when our, we have an amazing national disability insurance scheme to look after families that have children with disabilities um, and adults with disabilities. We, have a, uh, we, we need more money to put into our aged care sector. Where's that going to come from if we start cutting into our, into our resource royalties? And on and on it goes. We have a very high and healthy minimum wage. Uh, we have a strong pension rate. Uh, we have fantastic roads and infrastructure that we can build with our yeah. So it all comes down to what are we what are we prepared to go without? And I think that's an interesting that's an interesting um, uh, debate that Australia hasn't quite been mature enough to have within itself. Uh, if we are starting to look at uh, you know less coal, uh, sending less coal overseas and sending less gas overseas. Uh, understood. Um, and yeah, it, it's a, certainly a huge challenge that I think the whole world's going to have to grapple with in, each, in terms of each country's uh, different economic priorities and, uh, you know, and, and uh, bedrock in that sense. 
Well, before we move to the quick fire round, I want to touch on a on a big political uh, issue here in the UK. As you both know, our two countries on the verge of finally concluding a free trade agreement, which will be the UK's first as a fully independent trading nation outside of the European Union. But there are, um, in the UK at least, significant concerns, particularly amongst our agricultural sector, that this trade deal is a threat to them, given that Australia's legal standards aren't as expensive to comply with or as rigorous as the UK's. How do you respond to that? Are we right to have those concerns, um, Elizabeth? Um, of course, you know, uh, the UK will always have its own country's interest at stake, and, and so it should, you know, and just as Australia will as well. So, um, um, you know, I don't know much in terms of uh, the farming area. That's not the area that I represent. I'm sure Damien will have more to say about uh, the, the interest, intricacies and, and, and the politics in, in relation to that. But I think that it goes without saying that um, each country as they enter into agreements such as this will be wanting to make sure that their interests and their people are, are looked after. But I think that, you know, we can see some real uh, benefits and advantages to this. There's no doubt that Australia and um, the UK have already forged a very close relationship uh, and, you know, for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, we, in terms of the free trade agreement, there are a lot of advantages, especially for young people, uh, for Australians, uh, particularly to be able to go over to the UK to, to work, to gain experiences, to learn new skills and to bring those, um, those back to uh, Australia to be able to contribute back to our community and to our economy and, and vice versa. Um, but, you know, more, more, I think, a benefit to us in, in that regard, just because of the sheer number of people and uh, uh, opportunities that exist in, in the United Kingdom. So I think that it is a way of looking at it uh, from what are the benefits of, of this uh, free, free trade agreement. And I think they vastly outweigh any of the concerns, not to down play the concerns. Of course, they are real to the people that are concerned about that. Um, but from a, I suppose, global perspective uh, and, and on an international um, relationship scale, um, I, I'm enormously um, uh, um, very, very happy about this development and looking forward to it and very excited about um, what the future will bring. Damien? Uh, yeah, thanks, John. Um, uh, whilst I'm not surprised that there is some concern about the free trade agreement that uh, is just about concluded. Uh, I'm sort of surprised at the scale of the concern. Um, uh, every time you have a free trade agreement with any country, there's always going to be some winners and losers. Uh, that's just the way it works. Um, very seldom does everybody win in both countries. Um, I think Australia has a very, very pure uh, open market when it comes to its agricultural uh, behaviours. We have no farmers receiving subsidies uh, simply for being on the land. We have no support mechanisms handed to, to, handed to farming sectors by government. So ultimately, we produce what we can produce. Uh, admittedly, we can produce at scale because we have large tracts of land that we're able to farm. Um, but as I say, everything that we and we tend to produce, John, we tend to produce very much in the high end of most markets. So because we have a, a, an expensive labour component to our in costs, we have expensive you know, machinery costs, we have expensive uh, fuel costs. We have so a lot of our inputs into our agricultural sector are quite expensive. What we tend to across the world, we tend to we tend to um, trade in the the high-end sector 
of each of those commodities. So, you know, it's, it's the high-end wines, it's the high-end beef, the high-end lamb. Uh, and so we are dealing in that premium market in most countries. So I think um, when you look at our input costs here in Australia, they're quite expensive when you look at some of our, our other trading, um, you know, trading opposition. Uh, so I think the thing to remember also is that we are the, we are the strongest of friends when it comes to being trading countries. Um, we are so strong. I don't think there are, you know, everybody likes to talk about what's such, we are good friends and we're strong. And, but, you know, we, we came, yeah, the, the vast majority of Australians, they came from, um, from Britain. And, you know, and we have our roots established in many, you know, the vast majority of Australians have their roots established in Britain. Um, we refer to Britain as the mother country. Uh, we love beating you at cricket. Um, and, uh, and I think this, this procession, this procession now that we are going to create this first trade agreement that, that the England has been able to establish since they broke away from the EU, um, couldn't happen to a better uh, two countries. And that is England and Australia getting together to work out how we can help each other and help it, help the people within our two countries. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm sure uh, that the fears will be allayed and I'm just looking forward to this, you know, to us even building on the strength that we create with this, um, with this upcoming announcement. Oh, that's brilliant. And uh, no, it's great to hear such a, a positive uh, response to it. I was hoping we might have got through the whole conversation without mentioning cricket, but um, unfortunately, <laughs> You've skewered me uh, towards the end. So, um, brilliant. Well, thank you both for your thoughts on all those issues. It's been a really interesting conversation. We'll finish up, as we always do on our podcast, with some quick-fire questions. So just short answers from you both, please. I'll go to Elizabeth first and then uh, to Damien. Firstly, what one thing do you think Australia should learn from the UK in the fight against climate change? Not to be afraid to have the hard conversations and not let the issue of climate change polarise us in a political way as it has dominated in Australia. Damien? I think the EVs is an outstanding, we can, we can follow and we are following, but I think the, uh, the attitude towards EVs is very, very impressive. Brilliant. And um, what one thing does Australia do best uh, on the environment? Um, I think it was already mentioned, but um, rooftop solar, uh, I think, is, is something that uh, if you look at the take up of it, is something that I think the other countries around the world can probably uh, look at us and be quite impressed with. And it's something that we should be proud of. Uh, yes, and I also think, I think, John, that we will be leading the world when it comes to supplements. We feed our animals to eliminate methane. Uh, and I think we'll also lead the world when it comes to hydrogen technology as well. Brilliant. And uh, looking at Australia, what's the best landscape or green space for you uh, in, in your country? I, mean, I don't want to go that broad because the country is a big place, but um, I have to say, cause sticking close to home, uh, we we are very, very close to the Namadji National Park. And um, it unfortunately was ravished by bushfires uh, just two years ago. Uh, but a lot of the um, trails and tracks are now reopening. And uh, it's certainly very, very beloved uh, by many, many Canberrans. John, you ask any politician what's the best landscape in in Australia, they're just going to say their own patch. So the Golden Valley in the in the <laughs> north in the north, the Golden Valley in the north of Shepparton, in the north of Victoria, uh, centred around Shepparton, uh, it's God's own country.
Brilliant. Well, I, I look forward to visiting one day. That's uh, those two uh, very good recommendations. Um, and uh, going to, to the politics, this will the Liberal National Coalition still govern Australia after this year's federal election, Elizabeth? Look, it's obviously going to be a tough race, uh, but, you know, uh, people wrote us off in 2019 and uh, uh, Scott Morrison brought in a result that no one expected. Uh, I agree that um, Scott Morrison has faced a number of challenges uh, in his time as PM, you know, including bushfires as well as, of course, COVID. Uh, but I am confident that we will see the return of the Liberal National Government. Yes, and I agree. I think we'll see, I think we'll see the coalition return. It's going to be very, very tight. But um, I think when people look at how Australia has handled COVID uh, with a very strong economy and the way we will, but the way we will rebound, I think they'll give the coalition another term. Excellent. Let's hope so. Um, and then finally, should we be optimistic or pessimistic about the fight against climate change? I mean, will we actually sort it? I am very confident that we will, and I am very optimistic about the future. And, uh, you know, COP26 and uh, the visit to the UK actually cemented that for me. Um, only yesterday I had the great opportunity to visit and tour uh, the uh, Distributed Energy Lab at the Australian National University. And just hearing about uh, so much research capacity that Australia, and very proudly Canberra, does have, uh, shows me that we really are setting the foundations for making sure that we have the technology to be able to get a cleaner future. And John, I think we have every chance and every right to be incredibly optimistic about uh, our fight towards climate change uh, and our to a renewable-led future. Um, I just, uh, I just think technology is just uh, leading the way, and we simply need to adopt the. They adopt the technologies when they present themselves. And there's some very, very bright people in the world that are going to find the, uh, that are going to find the gaps that are missing at the moment. And I'm very, very optimistic that uh, technology will lead the way when it comes to climate change. Right. Well, that's a, uh, that's a great note to end on. So thank you both. That's all, for this, oh, that's all for this episode. Thank you very much to Elizabeth and to Damien for joining me. If you enjoyed the show, do let us know on social media and don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can find out more about our work on the Conservative Environment Network website, cen.uk.com or across our social media platforms. But until next time, from Centorps, it's goodbye. Thank you.